If you guys would stand for the reading of Scripture, that would be great. Thank you. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit unto the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, If anybody needs a Bible, we'd be happy to pass them out. Just raise your hand and one of the pastors will pass it out as they walk down and see your hand. And also, if you need a scripture to take home, we'd love you guys to have that opportunity as well. So just let one of the pastors or elders know. I'd like to say good morning and welcome to those of you who are family and to those of you who are visiting. We... uh, like to welcome you guys as well. One of the things we like to do at MacAv is during a sermon, if there's a question that's appropriate to the topic we're talking about, please feel free to raise your hand. Uh, if, again, if it's something that we can discuss afterwards that's maybe of a more personal nature, uh, please wait till afterwards. But please feel free to raise a hand if I haven't made a point clear or if there's a clarifying question. We'd love to. And if I, if you, if I don't call on you right away, keep your hand raised because it's kind of hard to see you guys with these lights on. Uh, my name is Matthew Rojek. I'm one of the elders here, and I have a confession. Uh, I'm the missions and uh, evangelism pastor, and I've done a really poor job uh, leading in missions. I'd asked you guys maybe a month, month and a half ago to consider the two missionary families we support and, and ways to bless them, and I completely dropped the ball on that, so I just wanted to ask you guys to forgive me. Um, they have been given some cool financial gifts specifically for Christmas, But I think I mentioned it then, and I would mention it to you again. I know they would greatly appreciate if you guys would consider once a month sending them an email of encouragement, especially the one family who's in a place where it's dangerous where they're at. And, you know, believe me, they feel alone at times. And to know that there are people praying for them, a word of encouragement, a scripture, they would absolutely love that. So, again, ask you guys to forgive me for dropping the ball, and I'm going to pick it up and run hard this next year. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Four components today. We're going to talk about a definition of the word hope. We're going to talk about it specifically in the context of Christmas because I believe it gets defined a little bit more specifically. Uh, Then we're going to look at an appropriate scripture that we read and an application. 
last night as I was finishing up my notes again and going over them, uh, sat down with Betty and we were talking and she said, what's the one thing that you want me to walk away from tomorrow after you're through? And I said, gosh, I'm not sure I know that. So I went back and just spent some time in prayer. And I think there's going to be two things that I really want you guys to come away with. One is the definition of hope from a Christian perspective. And it, James mentioned that in the, uh, in the video. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then also, I mean, what does it matter to us as believers? And what's the application of that? So I really hope I do a good job doing that. And I would ask you guys just to be thinking through of those two questions as we move forward. As I looked up in preparation for um, this topic, there was a number of definitions that I saw for hope. And one of them kind of caught my eye, and it said a feeling of trust. And I thought, well, I don't think I really care for the word feeling because as believers, we don't just go by our feelings because we know they can be very fickle. Emotions can be fickle based on the time, based on our emotions, based on the personality, based on whether we're having an up or a down day. So I changed it a little bit, and I just said a confident trust. And also we keep talking about with the word hope, there's also an expectation. So we're going to focus on confident trust and an expectation today. So our hope has as its foundation the omnipotent creator of the universe. Our hope is not in getting a raise, getting an education, FDIC insured funds in the bank. Our hope is on the creator of the universe who keeps the stars aligned, who put them there in the first place. Planets that are so cold, suns that are so hot, ecosystems on the earth that if one little thing gets tweaked out of place, the whole thing spins out of revolve. He not only created those things, but he keeps them spinning while he knows the hair of every one of our heads. And he knows when a sparrow falls and he cares that a sparrow falls. And the scriptures say he is unchangeable. He's unmovable. He is perfect, holy God. That's the foundation of our hope. Our hope is not whether Mike Duggan gets 1,200 homes pulled down every month for the next five years. Our hope isn't even in other great things that we want to see happen. If, if, if it takes another year for the coffee shop to open, that's going to be okay. Our hope is in the creator of those things. So our hope is firm. It, you know, hope almost, you know, like we're, we're hoping, but our hope has got added a firm foundation. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And the horses and chariots, we're talking about warfare. If you had horses and chariots, you were strong. You most likely would prevail. But the writer of Psalms is saying, man, those things are irrelevant. I don't care if we're walking. I don't care if we're crawling. If the Lord is on our side, we can trust in him. First Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And I, I want you guys, the man, like grind this next part in your brain. Therefore, encourage one another 
and build one another up just as you are doing. That's one of the things I want you guys to come away with. The body of Christ is to be one loud encourager because our hope is foundationally secure. We are not hoping on wavering, floating, shifting sands of sand or water. Our foundation is strong and secure, and in that our hope rests. I've told you guys this a couple of times before, and I'm sorry if I bore you, but my wife has a charm bracelet. And on that charm, she's got, I don't know, 15 or 20 charms. Every one of those charms is a remembrance of a great sorrow in her life. But the sorrow was redeemed by the God of redemption. And so when Betty gets bummed out, she'll put that thing on and she'll walk around the house shaking it. And it reminds her all of these things were sorrowful. But at one point in time, even if it wasn't answered per se, God gave her the comfort knowing I am your firm foundation. Even if the circumstance doesn't change, you can trust in me. You can hope in me. And another thing that Betty and I talk about all the time, our lives, the life of Detroit, the life of our neighbor is a book that's in the middle of being written. We don't know if we're in the first chapter, the middle, or the end. So don't despair. Your neighbor that you've asked a number of times to come to church or share the gospel with somebody at work and they haven't responded, that's okay. You don't know what chapter they're in. They got lots of chapters more. Our hope and our foundation is in Christ. One thing I would encourage you guys, and we've talked about this a number of times, have markers in your life that you can reflect back on where you say, God answered me, God comforted me, God renewed my strength. When I was failing, when I was sorrowful, when I was in tears, when my nights I went to bed in a sweat, or freaked out about something, and in the morning I woke, and God has sustained me. Remember those times. Put those in remembrance. Second thing, and man, I, this is important. The believer's hope is not outcome-based because we trust in the loving sovereignty and ri- wisdom in the director of life. That's where our expectation is. Now, there are times when we pray for something specific, And God gives us the desire of our heart. I mean, man, he answers exactly as we've asked him. And there are other times that that's not the case. But when I say our expectation is not outcome-based, it's because we trust that the God of creation, who knew us in infancy before we were born, he created us. His word promises that he has our best interest at hope, and that, that's where it lies. And so our expectation is not outcome-based. Hey, if this happens, cool, then God answered my prayer. No, that's not, the right, uh, uh, that's not the right mindset. God knows what's best for us, and we can trust him if the outcome is different than what we'd planned, or again, if it hasn't happened in this chapter of life, our hope is firm. It's fixed on a secure foundation. It's not outcome-based. We can trust him in that. Romans eight twenty-two through 26 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly 
for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. We were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We hope for the unseen and for the unknown. But again, why? Because our expectation is in the Creator, the the one who is wise, the one who knows us the best, and he knows what outcome to produce in our lives to grow us, to channel us, to walk us down the narrow path. If we need to practice patience or perseverance, he's going to bring that about. But he also answers prayers specifically, and we're grateful for that. And we do so patiently so that we're going to see this in our scripture reference. We pray with knowledge whenever possible, but that verse 36 talks about the Holy Spirit also assists us because there are times when some of the sorrows in our lives, you know, as we hear some of these prayer requests, people murdered. I mean, that's a great sorrow. There's times I don't know how to pray, and I'm just like groaning inwardly. I'm in tears And the Holy Spirit assists us. So even when we don't know how to pray, we cry out, Abba, Father, Lord, help. And that's the only thing we can say is help. Hope in the context of Christmas takes on a bit more of what I would call a specific definition. In our Advent season, we need to reorient our internal spiritual compass. Now again, if you guys have never heard the word orient, it's to align something relative to a compass or to a specific position. And that specific position for the Christian is God's will. During Advent, let's recalibrate, let's orient based on the eternal truths of heaven, God the Father, the reward of the saints, and for our created purpose, which is to serve God by serving mankind. You know, think about Christmas in the Western world. We're bombarded with opposing compasses that try to spin our narrow road off to the left and the right. You know, you think about, do, does the way we celebrate have any resemblance to the original event? Humility, the stench of the manger, animals walking around, hygiene, the elements. You know, as I was thinking through this, you know, my son and daughter-in-law have come and we're going to celebrate Christmas in a nice, warm living room with lights, socks on the mantle, the fireplace is going to be going, nice, comfortable couches. How do you think they would like it if I said, hey, you know what, we're going to do something different. Walk them all out, open the garage, the cars are out, some blankets on the frozen concrete, you know, the rats and cockroaches running by, that's what we ought to celebrate. (laughs) And also, do we celebrate Christmas in light of knowing the actual subject matter? Again, if we think about this, to love God first, to consider others better than ourselves, to welcome the cross and with it the daily death that comes from it, to love our enemies, 
That's not the navigation system that the world has put out during Christmas. It's, you deserve this. Go ahead and spend money. It doesn't matter if you go into debt. So my question is, what do you have your navigation set to? Is your navigation set to the scriptures, or is it set to the world's mindset? So let's, let's, we're going to go back through the scriptures now. Luke, 20, or, I'm sorry, Luke 2, 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous, and he was devout. And as I looked up some commentaries, the righteous uh, component adjective refers to his actions towards others, and devout was his actions towards God. And I put a little caption under each one of those in my notes. Actions towards others, righteous, is now. His devoutness towards God is towards the not yet. And when Betty and I were coming down to Mac Ave before we made a commitment to come here, there was literally a specific moment that both Betty and I said, we're signing the dotted line, we're moving in. For Betty, it was when she heard the word discipleship and heard how it was defined by Pastor Eric, and Betty said, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm here, let's go. For me, do you guys know what the word ambidextrous means? Basically means you can write with your right hand or you can write with your left hand or you can swing a bat right or left-handed. Mac Avenue, in my mind, does a great job of being ambidextrous with theology on a spiritual component, the right now. I'm sorry, actually for the future, the not yet. And the other arm that's equally as strong is the humanitarian component, Mac development. I love that both things are incredibly, I mean, they, they work both arms constantly. I mean, Eric and Leon are preaching constantly. Jonathan and Mac Development. I mean, think of Marilyn and Deanne and what's happening at Mac Development. We're exercising both muscles for the community. We're exercising an eternal muscle of theology, making sure we preach well, making sure that others understand the gospel clearly and are able to articulate it so that their theology is correct so that we're thinking well of eternity, but we're also doing the humanitarian thing, buying homes, trying to fix up homes, those kind of components, the now and the not yet. And I love that about Mac, and I believe that that's what Simeon was talking about, or the scriptures when they mentioned him being righteous and devout. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And again, in the information I looked up, they said that Simeon was probably 113 years old. And, you know, originally I was going to try to do what we did last year where I kind of was going to pretend to be Simeon, but I thought kind of like the historical component would take me too long to look back. But I want to encourage you guys. I, I bring this up almost every time I preach. Betty and I are older. A lot of you guys are younger, and you've not experienced quite the amount of things that, we, that, that Betty and I have. Or Carolyn. Or Edith, and if you ask any one of us, we've had great opportunity to do two things to see the Lord work and praise Him for it, and to see the Lord's hand where it appears to be short. And at that point in time, I want to exhort all of you young people, especially, do not let cynicism take over. But at that point in time, remember. The final chapters of the book are not written. Do not let cynicism take over. Let the hope of eternity, let the hope of the foundation of who God the Father is win over in your mind. 
I can remember when Betty and I were here just a little while, one of the prayer requests came through and it said something to the effect of, pray for me as I'm kind of getting frustrated with seeing the trash on the sides of the road and burned out houses and all this jazz. And I thought to myself, man, give me a break, you know, we've got the hope of Christ. Well, guess what? I periodically go there and I have to make a conscious decision to exercise my spiritual muscles to say, I'm not going to just look at that as the final outcome because I know the Lord's got something better. Whether it's in my lifetime, I don't know. But the chapter has not finished in Detroit. You know, when I was re-going over my notes last night and it just dawned on me, I think there's a gigantic parallel between Israel and Detroit and Jews and blacks. There's a huge parallel there. I mean, blacks have been... Well, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. You guys know what I'm talking about, okay? Detroit was similar to Israel. I mean, there's just sorrows abound. We want to see rejuvenation. We want to, be, we want to see Detroit go into the land of milk and honey, go into the blessing that the Lord has for us. We want to see the black community be able to rise up and be strong and not be oppressed like Israel was. Simeon's, hoping, Simeon's hope was for the consolation of Israel. We're here at Mac Ave because we're looking for the consolation of Detroit, consolation for the African-American community, consolation for the neglected and the despised and the depressed as well, whether that's African-American or Hispanic, whatever. So that's where we're looking. And the Holy Spirit was upon them. First thing I thought of when I saw it is, one, how unique that was to the Old Testament. That just didn't happen. And the other thing was, man, remember John baptizing and he's standing in the water, and he's baptizing people, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus. He says, man, the Son of God. Simeon saw him at his birth. And just the joy on Simeon's heart must have been incredible. And he cries out, and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people, Israel. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph hearing that spoken by someone who was highly revered in the temple? And I also asked the other question, who else was standing in the temple that would have heard this declaration? Pharisees, scribes, all kinds of people to hear this declaration and to see this guy who's been basically preaching the same message. He's 113 years. Let's assume he's been going there for 80 years. Can you imagine Pastor Eric when he's 113 preaching the same message? Message of hope. When I look at and I think about Mary and Joseph and I think about all you guys who are young parents and I look back at when Betty and I were young parents and even now I love when someone comes up to me and says, man, you got such great kids. Don't you guys love the same thing? Seeing all your kids up here and afterwards someone pats you on the back. Can you imagine what it's like to be with Mary and Joseph at a birthday party? Oh, my son's potty trade. Oh, my son's the savior of the world. I mean, I mean, can you imagine that? But again, can you imagine Mary and Joseph in the temple bringing their child in for dedication And to hear these words from Simeon. And afterwards, to hear them spoken by Anna, the prophetess. And it says, she, speaking of Anna, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Look at the longevity, how long she was married and how long she was at the temple. Her perseverance. What 
could possibly drive Simeon for as long as he did, and Anna, who was a widow. She didn't even go back to get married. What could drive that? Only the hope of Christ. Remember, we're talking about hope is is a confident trust and expectation. Trusting in the Lord and his promise to Israel. And it says that she would speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. I mean, be like standing at the back of the thing, and as soon as anybody would walk in the door, you know, Pastor Eric or me or Nate or whoever, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Have you guys heard about Jesus? He's coming again. He's coming again. That's what Anna did. That's what Simeon was doing. And there was a quote uh, by John Piper that I'd like to read uh, in reference to this. So here we have two old Jewish saints representing, as it were, the very best of the old covenant, which is now giving way to the new with the coming of the Messiah. And the question I have asked is this, why these two? Of all the Jews that might have been chosen to recognize the child Messiah and take him into their arms and speak of his coming, why these? I think Luke wants us to ask that question because he takes the time to tell us some of the qualities of these two people. Simeon is righteous and devout with the Holy Spirit upon him. Anna scarcely departs from the temple worshiping God with fasting and prayer night and day. They're very, they are both very God-centered people. But the thought that jumps off the page because of the similarity in verse 25 and 38 is that they were both looking, expectation, and hoping confidence for God to do something for Israel. Simeon was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel and Anna spoke of the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. John Piper. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason of hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We're talking about hope, and we're not talking about hope as the world hopes. We're talking about the believer's hope, hope, which is rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus by the creator of the covenant of mankind who cannot lie, whose promises will come to pass. The final chapter in the book is not written. I know some of you guys are in great sorrow over some of the things that are going on in your life. Unanswered prayer, lots of sorrows. Have hope in God. Have hope in Christ. That's what this season is about. Not necessarily, again, outcome-based, where you're telling God exactly what you want, and if it doesn't happen and you're disappointed, have your expectation be on Him who is the creator of the outcome. What is your hope resting on this Christmas? God's will, Scripture, or some other, some other gift or event? We've really answered this already. Why is the Christian's hope different than the non-Christian? So let me ask you four application questions, if I could. Would people see you as hopeful? Or do you join in when there's negative connotations and just keep going down that miserable road? What's your navigation sent to? What, What are you oriented to? Are you oriented to the hope of Christ where there is always, where there's always hope regardless of the circumstance? 
there is always hope. Now again, we're going to experience sorrow in this life. We're going to experience unanswered prayer. But again, we're talking about two components, the now and the not yet. I'm not going to promise you that everything's going to be rosy in the now, but I will promise you it's going to be rosy in the not yet. Can you imagine, like the things, I, I, my dream has always been to live on a lake, to live on water. I mean, I salivate when I think about that. I salivate thinking about being surrounded by trees and sand and water. And like we've got some friends who just retired to a place like that. And in my mind, I think, man, I'm in Detroit. That stuff's not here. But guess what? I'm going to go live with the creator of those things and be able to enjoy them for eternity. Not just one little snippet of my life here. And my life is going to be well spent apart from that because my hope and my expectation is not just the now, but I can guarantee you it's the not yet. And my hope is in Christ. So my question is, and again, it's not a question of condemnation, but would people think of you as hopeful? Are you prepared and are you preparing? Do you have what I would call conversation starters? A great conversation starters is, why do you live in Detroit? Well, man, we found this great church theologically and humanity strong. And I tell people that all the time. Opens up the door, and then you get to brag on Jesus. Have conversation starters in your pocket so that you can tell of the Scripture what is that hope that's within you. Do you guys memorize Scripture? i got to tell you, it's an important thing. you got to memorize Scripture. It's in the white notebook. i got to encourage you to do it, and do it on your own for sake of conversation's sake. Also, do you understand the principles of Scripture? That's the whole point of the white binder. Not only so Mac is on the same page, but so that as you're out there sharing your faith, you can share the faith so that it's, um, it's principle, not preferential-based. When you share the scriptures, you give someone the hope of the gospel, mainly for eternity, but also for now. So you've got to understand the principles of scripture, and you've got to understand how to articulate them. And it goes past just quoting scripturized memory verses. Because if we can't set that principle in the context of where we live now, we're really going to miss it. You can't just quote scripture because it's just Christian jargon that some people don't understand. If you understand the principles of what scripture is, then you can relate it to the context of the situation you're in. Does that make sense? Okay. So one exhort you. Are you preparing? And are you prepared? I have a yep. Uh, okay, so can you tell me or tell us what to do? There's a scripture that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What do you do when your hope's deferred and your heart is sick? So Betty said there's a scripture that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What do you do when your hope is deferred? You get out the charm bracelet. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I, I would say again, for those of you who are younger... Remember the times that God the Father has answered your, uh, your prayers. And again, I, I wish I would have done a better job. Think about Simeon for 113 years. He knew all the stories of the Red Sea, of their rebellion, of the ground opening up because they were worshiping an idol when Moses was coming down and Aaron decided to make the golden camp. 
Man, those things went over and over and over and over in Simeon's mind. And again, he had opportunity to become cynical. We have the opportunity every day as we're driving around Detroit, and we don't necessarily see things changing to become cynical. Or, I mean, is our, again, is our hope and our foundation on the land bank? Or is our hope and foundation on the housing to get better? Or for us to get grant money for Pringy Park? No, our hope is in Christ Jesus. Again, Theology and humanity. You've got to exercise those muscles. So in answer to Betty's question, I think it's absolutely critical for every one of you in this room to have markers where you've seen the Lord work. And if you don't have them specifically for your life, look in Scripture to see where he answered the Israelites or he answered Peter, he answered John. Those are things that we can tank, take to the bank, and we can count on those. And the other thing, again, I just got to say is, our life still might be filled with sorrow here, but we have an expectation for the future. And that's the not yet. And so those questions that we have, you know, I think I shared with you guys last time I preached, I've been really struggling with why God doesn't answer our prayers all the time and why, why sorrows abound. I still don't have an answer, but I have an abiding peace that the God who sent his own son for his enemies has promised hope and a wiping away of the tears in eternity. And at that point, i got to say, praise the Lord, I trust you, my expectation, not outcome-based, it's eternity-based. And then the last, well, I guess there's actually two more questions. Can you give an answer? As someone sees in you hope, you're living in Detroit, you live where? Why? Can you give an answer to that? We alluded to this earlier. You need to be, be prepared to know in Scripture. You need to be prepared to know the principles of Scripture. And you need to be prepared to be able to give an, act, uh, an account, an answer contextually. But I exhort you guys to be ready to give an answer. And then lastly, are you an encourager? Do you encourage people? You know, when someone comes up to you and shares some sorrow, are, are, do you shrink back and, and not know how to answer them? Or can you encourage them in the Scripture? Again, if you're not founded, most likely you're not going to be able to. I would exhort you, ask the Holy Spirit to make the Scriptures alive to you. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a believer. He desires to give you wisdom and understanding and instruction, not only for the sake of yourself as you grow, but especially, I mean, we moved here, or you've stayed here for one purpose, and that's to serve the community and to have the community come to faith in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Hope. A confident trust in the Heavenly Father who says we can call him Abba Father. We can call him Daddy. With an expectation that he's promised all things will work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to your purpose. Do you love the Lord? Has he called you? If so, rest assured in confident expectation. The Father's got your back. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows your sorrows, and he's there to answer. You know, we just finished the book of Acts, and I'm just astounded when I read through that and I see the miraculous things that the Father has done. And when I read missionary books... You know, I tell you guys this every time. I love to see how God blows these guys' minds and does above and beyond their greatest expectation. So I'd encourage you guys right now. I know a lot of you guys are believers. 
but I'd be a fool to think that everybody here is a believer. Simeon said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go because I've seen the salvation of Israel. I've seen the consolation of Israel born. If you're not a believer here, that you're not assured of your salvation, do not walk out of here without coming down. I mean, come down right now. Come on down right now and talk to me. But do not leave this place without being assured of your salvation. And that assurance is not in a one-time prayer. That assurance is not because your parents went to church. That assurance is not because they took you to church. That assurance has to come because you've been convicted of your sin and convinced of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Simeon was ready to die. You need to be ready to die before you walk out of here. Please, please, please. If the Lord's tugging at your heart and you're an unbeliever or you don't know what that means, if it sounds like I'm babbling and I'm talking Christianese, come on down. Let me explain it to you. Simeon was ready. I just ask every one of you guys to be ready as well. Have hope. So as we're going to take tithe and we're going to take offering.